Welcome to Fifth Wall's Building to Zero podcast. The real estate industry is the world's single largest contributor to climate change. At Fifth Wall, we're on a mission to help the industry eradicate its carbon emissions and build to zero. I'm your host, Brendan Wallace. In today's episode, I sit down with Jason McLennan, a green design pioneer and CEO of regenerative architecture planning and design practice, McLennan Design, which is focused on deep green sustainability. Jason shares details on one of McLennan Design's latest projects. The firm has partnered with Amazon and the NHL to design the Climate Pledge Arena, the world's first net zero carbon certified stadium, and explains how deep green design is not only better for the planet, but also better for the company's brand and bottom line. Enjoy the conversation. Well, thanks for tuning in to Building to Zero, uh, a series where we explore how we can innovate towards building carbon-neutral real estate. Today, we're joined by Jason McLennan, the CEO of innovative design firm McLennan Design. So Jason, thank you so much for joining. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, Where are you coming in from today? It's hard to tell with two virtual backgrounds. Yeah, well, it is a virtual background. I wish I was there, uh, but I'm in a beautiful place, actually. Uh, I live on Bainbridge Island, Washington, and uh, the picture behind me is in British Columbia, Canada. Oh, nice. Awesome. Well, could you start by maybe just telling the audience about McLennan Design? Obviously, like your firm, its background, what your firm's mission is, and what you've been up to lately. Absolutely. So McLennan Design, I started um, 2015, 2014. Um, we're an architecture, planning, product design, and uh, troublemaking firm. <laughs> we uh, work with uh, many companies on corporate strategy around sustainability, and, uh, in addition to doing design work and, and designing all kinds of things. Um, the mission that we have um, is really to, to create models of a, of a living future, as we call it. Um, in fact, uh, the mission statement that I created for the Living Future Institute that I founded was to create positive change in a world that is socially just, culturally rich, and ecologically restorative. Um, and uh, it applies to my firm as well, um, that we are a mission-based uh, design and consultancy, basically. That's really interesting. And, and when you think about that, um, I guess it, it isn't something that seems intuitive that you could integrate so many kind of broad social missions around wellness, around the environment, into kind of a design practice for the real estate industry. Has, how has the real estate industry kind of reacted to that? Has that been a breath of fresh air, given where we are in the environment today? Well, you know, things are, are changing rapidly. Um, obviously, 2020 is uh, not a normal year <laughs> for anybody. Um, green building uh, and wellness and design and social justice issues and design have slowly been, you know, increasing in, in importance to everyone uh, in the industry. Um, but I think this is the year when it all has sort of boiled up right into people's faces. And whether it's wildfires, whether it's the protests, whether it's, of course, the, the global pandem- pandemic that we're in, um, I think what we're all wondering is, as we emerge through this pandemic uh, moment that we're in, what's on the other side? 
And my belief is that, um, that people will be uh, motivated in a very different way than they have been in the past. Yeah, I think we're seeing that absolutely in the real estate industry. You know, the combination of just current events paired with, you know, the, the pressures of capital markets, obviously, who are kind of pushing for low, no carbon footprint real estate, paired with regulators that are taking a more forward posture, obviously, around issues on carbon neutrality. Um, and then even what tenants and, and the public is demanding, it, it's interesting to see how rapidly kind of environmental design has been thrust to the fore. And, and in that vein, yep. you know, I know that you recently partnered with Amazon and Oakview Group and the NHL to design the first net zero carbon certified arena in the world. Can you just walk us through what that was like? Well, the project's uh, still under construction, um, but, uh, and it's a massive project. Um, basically, Seattle is on a path to having uh, a new NHL team uh, in the city. Uh, as well as having an incredible new venue for all sorts of things, entertainment related and sports related, basketball and other things. Um, and Seattle as a community has always been fairly progressive when it comes to sustainability and climate change. Uh, and this is, of course, uh, Amazon's home as well, as you mentioned. Um, so what we're doing now um, is really remarkable in that we're creating, I think, the greenest arena on the planet. Um, we're doing uh, the first certified zero carbon arena. Um, and what that means basically is that we have fully decarbonized, um, which is not an easy thing for a facility of this size and magnitude. Um, we've gotten rid of all of our fossil fuel use uh, in the facility. And so basically it's an all electric facility and all the electricity that we're going to use will be generated by renewable energy. Um, so completely fossil fuel free and its operations powered by the sun and by the wind. Um, and then we go even further and I, I don't know how deep you want to get into it, but we're essentially um, offsetting all the carbon from all the operations in addition to that. So that includes all the fans getting to and from the arena and the artists and the athletes. Wow. So nobody, nobody's ever gone that far uh, where we've expanded the boundary of what we're uh, you know, counting for carbon emissions and offsetting it. And it's really a, a remarkable thing. And, and I give huge kudos to OBG, the Seattle Kraken, and Amazon as a team uh, in doing these bold steps. And it's, it's interesting to think about the effect that will have on the public, right? The, the notion of a, you know, true, you know, net zero carbon stadium itself, but then the fact that the stadium, it seems like, is also going further in, in purchasing. Is it kind of through offsets that you're estimating the distance traveled and kind of parking and just consumption that happens at the stadium and then making a calculation and saying, we're actually proactively offsetting your coming to see our games. Is that, is that how it works? That's exactly how it works. Um, wow. we're, we're, we're doing steps more than that even. We're, you know, every time you buy uh, an NHL uh, ticket, it comes with a transit pass so you can get there uh, by public transit instead of taking your car. Uh, there's been an investment made in Seattle's historic monorail as another form of public transportation that's very cool uh, to get people from downtown Seattle uh, to the arena. So, you know, there's all these things in addition uh, that we're doing as part of a whole uh, thought process around environmental impact. And, and yeah, there's a lot we can unpack with that one, but the, 
the thing that you mentioned is really the, the fan engagement and the ability to showcase these issues to hundreds of thousands of people. Um, you know, there's 200 events probably every single year with tens of thousands of people, and they're going to all be held in the Climate Pledge Arena. The arena is not being named after Amazon. Uh, it's being named after a mission, which is yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, that's when I read about it, that was one of the most inspiring things. I mean, Amazon obviously is, you know, one of the largest companies in the world that is publicly committed to decarbonizing. And what's interesting is that kind of in doing so, they've forced their suppliers to decarbonize as well. And it's not always intuitive to people that a big supplier to the real estate or to Amazon is the real estate industry, right? Or data centers, warehouses, offices, retail stores, and obviously in the case of an arena, the arena itself. And I'm curious, like, how does Amazon's sustainability strategy or, or, or that, you know, of the tech sector more broadly compare to what you've encountered in the real estate industry? Well, one of the things that's been interesting is just how progressive the tech industry has been. And then, to be honest, how we haven't seen that same kind of progress and kind of just posture around, you know, sustainability from the real estate industry. Um, what seems to be working for them and what could the real estate industry learn from that? Yeah, I think, I think I'll focus broadly on the tech sector, including Amazon, um, who are taking a real leadership stance around climate. Um, but it's really, really, as you, as you've just pointed out, the whole sector, um, is doing amazing things. I, you know, we, uh, are blown away by a lot of the great work that Apple is doing uh, to really change their environmental footprint. Um, Google, the same. Microsoft, the same. You know, you have these massive companies um, that are really trying to lead by values uh, as well as, of course, doing good business and, and not seeing those things as diametrically opposed, which is fantastic. And it's just a big shift for big business when, you know, I, I, I kind of, uh, look back at the trends in business over the last several decades. And it used to be that the world's most influential, biggest companies were all oil companies and automakers. And that's completely shifted. Um, and now it's the financial sector, it's banks, and it's tech companies. And the good thing is they have, in general, better values around the environment than obviously oil companies ever did. Uh, so it's been a huge shift. And uh, it's exciting to see, uh, you know, we're the, at the Institute um, that runs the Living Building Challenge and Net Zero Energy Certification. It is the tech sector that's leading the way um, with projects. So it's very cool. Yeah, it's exciting to see. And I think in some ways that's also <laughs> impacted the real estate industry for the reason I just mentioned, which is that the real estate industry is a major supplier to the tech sector. Um, and so what you're seeing yep. is a lot of very progressive, very sustainability forward tenants like Netflix and Amazon and Google set standards for the real estate they want to occupy that puts pressure, I think really good pressure on landlords to decarbonize and to take this very seriously. Because to be honest, it feels like the real estate industry without that pressure, which is kind of the, the demand side of the equation, yep. might not have um, taken some of the steps it has of late. Yeah, that's probably right. That's probably right. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of progress that needs to happen across so many other sectors right now. Um, but I am glad that the tech sector is starting to rise because they are driving demand. 
um, and pushing the industry to, to consider different things, which is fantastic. But ultimately, it's not enough. We need, you know, we need every sector uh, to be following their lead. Absolutely. And, you know, we're obviously recording this in a time where wildfires are ravaging Northern California. And each year, honestly, Up seems too. yeah, it's just, it's everywhere. And just, it seems all around us, there are more natural disasters and kind of the, the imminence of the climate crisis is becoming more real, more visceral for people um, in their daily lives. And I'm curious just how you at McLennan approach designing for resiliency, right? Like what does climate resiliency mean to you across your design practice? Yeah, no, it's a good question. You know, and, and resilience has always been a core part of what we do with our design work. Um, when we talk about living buildings or deep green buildings, we are talking about buildings that generate their own energy, that capture water and store it on site and treat it. And, you know, that last longer, that are more durable, that are better at handling disruption. So these same issues that are good for the planet in terms of their environmental footprint also make us safer in times of inclement weather and in times of disruptions like we've seen. Um, but ultimately, um, unless we address the larger patterns of climate change, it doesn't matter what you do at an individual level. We need community you know, scale, nation scale resilience planning. We need to do things differently in all of our sectors because you can't solve the problems on a building by building or real estate deal by real estate deal you know, process. So there's a lot we are doing. Uh, and, it, and it is very, you know, fascinating and interesting to see what's possible. Um, my home, for example, is off the water grid. I capture all my water and treat it, and I'm independent uh, of anything that happens to the municipal system. And, and we have solar on our roof. But, you know, we still got, you know, smacked by smoke coming from California, coming from Washington and Oregon that made it unsafe to breathe in my community for a few weeks. And so that, again, speaks to this issue that even if we can solve things on a particular project, which we can do, we can, it doesn't matter if we haven't you know, made the planet healthy as a whole. Yeah. And obviously, one of the challenges with real estate is that you know, these assets, um, it's real infrastructure. They have very long life cycles. And so functional obsolescence or even like environmental obsolescence is something that really needs to be considered at the design process, at the design stage. And I'm curious, like, how do you think the public and private sector can collaborate better to just ensure that we are building communities and building assets that will be functionally, like, practical in five to 10 years, um, but also adhere to just the new standards that the world is setting for itself around sustainability? Well, I could answer that in a few different ways. Um, what, I, what I'm telling everybody, which I'm sure you agree with, that right now the most important thing that people can do is vote right now and, and see you know, a change in, in, in politics that actually supports science and actually supports doing something about these issues. So that's sort of one at least tongue-in-cheek answer to this. Um, but in terms of, of, of what projects can do, um, I think this idea of you don't want to build something that's op, you know, obsolete. Uh, in a short amount of time. Um, and and my belief is that any kind of fossil fuel in infrastructure that you're putting into projects is really uh, an obsolete paradigm. Um, people shouldn't be hooking up to natural gas again, in my opinion. They shouldn't be buying 
internal combustion engine vehicles. These are obsolete technologies. They're the they're the Walking Dead, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> so, and and I, you know, I was looking at your website um, obviously before this, and I kind of wrote down kind of my my summary, which was you know, McLennan produces architecture across multiple sectors, um, which was really interesting to me that you do higher education, corporate office, hospitality, yep. Um, yep. and you do so in a way that wants to achieve the highest levels of environmental, economic, and wellness performance while also being you know, responsible and functional. And I think many people are under the impression that these metrics are kind of uh, like mutually exclusive, you know, that a building can't be both green, green and financially you know, practical. Um, how do you reconcile those? And how do, when you talk to real estate owners, do you um, emphasize that these things are actually integrative and synergistic with one another? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. I think it's a, it's a line of thinking that definitely is out there. Uh, it's an old line of thinking that is uh, past its expiration date, uh, to be honest. And as we've built more and more deep green buildings, we've shown that not only are they better for the planet, but they're beautiful, they're inspiring to be in, they're healthier, and they're better for the bottom line. So they're, they're financially better performing than their counterparts. That's why green building is taking off. That's why there's the demand, to be honest with you. I wish it was just for altruistic reasons that green building was you know, becoming a bigger and bigger things with tech companies and with others. But it's, it's really also that this is just a smarter way to build economically and otherwise. It's better for your employees. It's better uh, for your customers. It's better for your brand. It's better for recruitment. There's all these uh, issues that impact the bottom line. And so this idea that is really a vestige of like 1990s thinking that's kind of hung around uh, is just, it's just wrong and outdated. And, and we don't really have to spend that much time uh, anymore with, with this issue. Clients come to us because they already get that. It used to be that I had to convince people. I don't have to convince people. Go look at any of the buildings by tons of architects around the country, not just us. These are better projects. Do you want a good project? Do you want a crap project? You know, it's uh, it's really just the proof is there. So it's going to take maybe some time for some, you know, uh, outdated thinking to just die on the vine. Um, but we're winning this one um, in, in spades. That's great. And, you know, one of the drivers, obviously, is local regulation. Um, and, you know, in the past four years, especially, it seems that at a federal level, climate action has slowed, right, for, for obvious reasons. And um, what, what's interesting, though, is that it doesn't seem to be slowing or slowing nearly to the same extent at the local level. And, you know, in the past year, 407 mayors across the country have basically pledged to honor the Paris climate agreement, right, as that applies to cities and real estate within their cities. And the fascinating thing about real estate is that it's an industry you can't move, right? Like there's no moving the, the stadium, the arena that you're building <laughs> that is always going to be in Seattle. So it will always be subject to Seattle legislation and, and Seattle regulation. What are some of the kind of inspiring and emboldening steps that you've seen regulators take with respect to local environmental laws that you think are something we should look to emulate? Obviously, New York and Los Angeles being prime examples, but what are you seeing that's inspiring? Well, I think the role of regulation in general is to lift the bottom up 
you know, to make it safe and as good as possible for all. And the role of innovation is to tug from the top. So in that sense, uh, you know, I, I think that there, there has been some, some progressive policies by a lot of cities, as you've mentioned, and states like California that is always a leader in pushing the boundaries. But, but real leadership is, you know, tends to happen beyond that. It's not about just meeting code minimums or even no matter how progressive they are. We have a very progressive uh, code here in Seattle. But on our projects, we blow the code away. You know, we go way beyond. So, um, you know, I think, I think it's the, the job of, of, of our civic leaders to try to um, motivate everybody and lift, lift the bottom up as much as it can, and that's its role. Um, but ultimately, true innovation is happening, I think, in the private sector, um, as you mentioned, in tech companies, but and also higher, uh, higher ed is another sector that's doing a lot of great things, uh, and cor- corporate offices, uh, you know, are, are really taking this on. Um, so that's, that's kind of my response. I am very happy that, uh, people that believe in science that happen to be mayors and city councilors are pushing for the right things. Uh, but regulations only take us so far. What we need is that plus a healthy market economy, uh, that's also moving in the right direction. Absolutely. And it it feels like there's, there's almost a parallel, right? Between what we're going through with the pandemic and, you know, consumers or tenants just understanding that the role of real estate in their in public health is just greater than they ever imagined. And to some extent, that's that's inspiring to think about what that can mean at an environmental level. Because, you know, I think real estate as an industry has been this massive contributor, right, to the climate crisis. It's roughly a third of, you know, all energy consumption and a third of emissions. And when you look at it through that lens, I guess there's something really interesting about how we can kind of teach consumers and teach tenants that the decisions they're making around the physical assets they inhabit, the physical assets they use can have such a profound impact on the environment. And it reminds me of what we, where we started this conversation, which is, you know, with the climate pledge arena that, you know, a, a, uh, someone who goes to see a hockey game, seeing on their ticket that their emissions that they hadn't contemplated they were responsible for are being offset proactively by the owner and the operator of that stadium. That's really interesting. Do you think that there's opportunities for landlords to use their assets as, this is a weird way of saying it, but kind of educational, instructive instruments to kind of educate consumers around behaviors and best practices that they can then take to their own lives and their own homes and the decisions they're making around these physical assets and their environmental impact. Oh, absolutely. On all of our projects, we try to find ways to teach people about sustainability, about energy use, resource use, when they're in the buildings. Um, Sometimes it's in the form of a monitor that's revealing data, that's telling us what's happening in the building and helping people make connections. Um, Here in Seattle, not only will we have the Climate Pledge Arena, but for several years now, we've had the greenest office building in the world, the Bullet Center. Uh, and for that, if you want to be a tenant in the Bullet Center, you have to sign a green lease and, and it commits you to certain things. Uh, that's a change in behavior, but a positive one. Uh, and the economics of the Bullet Center are fantastic uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of a real estate investment. Um, and, you know, so, yeah, we need to, we need to educate um, with our buildings. Our buildings are these big things and they provide all sorts of lessons. And all of the strategies that we promote, or at least most of the strategies, I should say, 
have an economic upside. And so I think for people that come to, to a hockey game, as you say, or whatever, what they need to be thinking about is, is, is what can I do to make my life better, to make the world better, and probably also save money in the long run. And that's pretty smart if you can figure that out. And these projects are, are basically, you know, showing a path to that. Yeah. And it, and it seems like, you know, from our perspective, obviously at Fifth Wall, we work with so many large real estate owner, operator, developers, is that they're listening. It feels for the first time like they are listening. They are heeding, you know, the, the demand, so to speak, of their tenants, of, of consumers that, that really care about these issues. And actually, that was, you know, my, my last question, which is, you know, what is the role of the consumer, the tenant, or frankly, anyone passionate about, you know, this issue and driving change? What can they do to hold the real estate industry, or frankly, any sector, accountable? Like, what is the role of the individual in affecting change in the real estate industry, which is something we think so much about? Yeah, well, I think that sometimes people get uh, jaded and think that what they do doesn't matter much when they see sort of big issues, but the truth is it, it does matter. And every day you vote with your dollar around what you buy, what you invest in, that has repercussions. And, and so it does require people to think a little bit more about what they're investing in, what they're voting with their dollar for. Are they supporting companies that are moving the world in a, a way that's in alignment with their values, that is making the world a better place or a worse place in some way? It could come down to the products that are in the buildings. It could come down to things that you buy for your home. But it, it does add up in, in a big way because we exert pressure on markets with our investments at, a, at, a, at every scale. And then, of course, every several years, we have a chance to actually vote and make a difference that has ripple effects through all of our uh, you know, live, live, you know, live decisions. So consider how you're voting every day is what I tell people. And you are when you buy anything and when you do anything that participates in the economy and in real estate. It's interesting because there's that, there's that axiom, right, um, that you've, I'm sure you've heard in the real estate industry or just, you know, demography of people vote with their feet. Um, and, you know, real estate is in some ways a kind of, you know, it's a, it's a commercial macroeconomic construct around how do we monetize how people are voting with their feet, right? How, um, how the U.S. economy is um, is being created and fabricated in in space in in design space, and if consumers start to take a more proactive stance around like what where do I want to vote with my feet? What kind of home do I want to buy? What kind of office do I want to rent? What kind of stadium do I want to attend? I mean that's profound. That can really that that can change the world, and I think. It's so interesting to see the effect that's already having on the real estate industry. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. <laughs> well, Jason, it's been uh, so interesting to chat with you. Um, I've, I really enjoyed this and obviously applaud all the amazing work you're doing. And I'm looking forward to going to a hockey game um, and checking yeah, out my, my ticket stub. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Well, nice to meet you and I'm happy to be on your show. Absolutely. Well, thanks for watching Building to Zero. Uh, we have an amazing lineup of guests like Jason on the series in the coming weeks. So be sure to subscribe to our channel not to miss an episode. Thanks again, Jason. Thanks for listening to this episode of Building to Zero. 
All of these episodes and more are available on our YouTube channel. To learn more about Fifth Wall, visit our website at www.fifthwall.com.